We need the micro to start. Hmm? We need the micro to start. The microphone for size. So is that is he bringing it? It's locked in there. Okay. So I have to wait. Well, the people of this wait then. Did you um, see that video of Butte Mega in the park? Just about 10 seconds, that's it. Mm. إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So we were discussing regarding the names and attributes of Allah the knowledge of Allah 
and we were saying لا نرد شيئا منها ونعلم أن ما جاء به الرسول حق ولا نرد على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم that we do not reject any of it we do not reject any of it and we know that whatever the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came with, then it is the truth. And we do not reject anything from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A. Kama anna min hadi salaf, annahum yu'minuna bin nusus jami'a, wa kathalika la yarudduna minha shay'an abada, la min alfaadiha, wa la min ma'aniha. وَيَعْتَقِدُونَ جَازِمِينَ أَنَّ مَا جَاءَ بِهِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم من أصول الدين وفروعه وحقوقه ومكملاته وفضائله ومعانيه حق يجب الإيمان به والعمل بمقتضى Just like it is from the guidance of the salaf to believe in all of the texts all of what has been mentioned in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, in the texts, then we accept all of that. And we do not reject any of that, neither from the words nor from the meanings. Rather, we believe firmly that all of what has come from the Messenger of Allah wasallam, from the foundations of the religion and from its branches, and from the rights, and from that which completes it, and from its virtues and its meanings, everything is the truth. And it is obligatory to have iman in it, and to act upon what is necessitated by it. وَلَا يَجُوزُ أَنْ يُرَدَّ عَلَى الرَّسُولِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ مِمَّا جَاءَ بِهِ أَبَدًا It is not acceptable for you to reject Something which has come from the Prophet ﷺ ever. لا في باب الأسماء والصفات ولا في غير ذلك من أبواب العلم. Neither when it comes to the issue of the names and the attributes, and neither in any other topic. We cannot reject anything that has come from Allah and His Messenger. All of that we must accept. Then the author says, وَلَا نَصِفُ اللَّهَ بِأَكْثَرَ مِمَّا وَصَفَ بِهِ نَفْسَهِ بِلَا حَدٍّ وَلَا غَايَةٍ That we do not describe Allah with anything more than what He has described Himself with. We do not describe Allah or say anything about Allah on top of or in addition to what Allah has mentioned. What Allah has mentioned... That is the level that we go to. What is in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, that is what we accept and we say. Because the names and attributes of Allah, this particular field of knowledge, it is as they say, tawqifi. Meaning that there is no possibility of intellect to come into it for you to imagine or to think up or make up new things. It is purely what is established and written in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and it cannot be determined through your intellect in any way. بِلَا حَدٍ وَلَا غَايَةٍ مِنْ غَيْرِ إِحَاطَةٍ بِهِ وَبِصِفَاتِهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى 
Meaning that when we talk about the names and attributes of Allah, from what Allah has told us about Himself, that doesn't mean that we can now picture Allah. Doesn't mean that we can now imagine Allah. Doesn't mean we can try and give descriptions, details. We cannot do any of that. It is not possible for us to imagine that or to uh, conclude that the descriptions of Allah entail a certain meaning or they are therefore a certain description. We cannot do that. Because Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, وَلَا يُحِيطُونَ بِهِ أَوْ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنْ عِلْمِهِ إِلَّا بِمَا شَاءٍ That they cannot encompass anything from his knowledge except what he wills. So we are not able to encompass the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We cannot grasp all of that. Allah said in the Qur'an, وَمَا أُوْتِيتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا You have not been given from knowledge except a small amount. Similarly, Allah said, فَلَا تَضْرِبُوا لِلَّهِ الْأَمْثَالِ Do not give examples to Allah. Do not make imaginations up of Allah. That is not permissible for us to do. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمُ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Allah knows, but you do not know. لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلُ هُوَ الْمُحِيطُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ Allah, He encompasses everything. He knows everything. He, His knowledge covers everything. وَلَا يُحِيطُ بِهِ شَيْءٌ مِّن مَخْلُقَاتِهِ But us, from His creation, we cannot encompass the knowledge of Allah. Allah encompasses us. His knowledge covers everything, knows everything. But we as the creation do not have that. We cannot encompass Allah with our knowledge. So when Allah said in the statement in the Qur'an, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ Allah tells us in the Qur'an, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ There is nothing like unto Allah. There is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a refutation of those people who make comparisons between Allah and the creation. And the people of innovation, that's what they accuse the Sunnis of. That's what they accuse the Salafis of. They say, you people give Allah descriptions. You make Allah like a body. And that is completely false. Because Ahlul Sunnah, they say, it is not possible for us to imagine what Allah looks like. It is not allowed for us to make comparisons between Allah and creation. It is not allowed to make any resemblance between Allah and creation. So we cannot possibly be giving descriptions and imaginations. It is haram to do that. Ahlul Sunnah have highlighted that very clearly in the Aqidah. We do not give descriptions and we do not go into those details and imaginations or resemblances or comparisons. Then, the author goes on to say, نَقُولُ كَمَا قَالْ We say therefore, as Allah said, whatever Allah said about Himself in the Qur'an, then that is what we say. And this is important, because the people of innovation don't do this. People of innovation, they try to explain everything with their own intellects, with their own imagination, with their own minds. 
They say Allah says he has hands, that means this or it means that or it means this and they make up things. They say Allah says he has eyes, that means this, that means that and they make up things. They make up all types of explanations from themselves. Explanations that were not given by the Prophet ﷺ. So we do not do that. We accept what is in the Quran and the Sunnah as it is without trying to use our own minds to give our own explanations. If the Prophet ﷺ gave an explanation for a particular ayah, then so be it. But us, we cannot give explanations to the names and attributes of Allah and give descriptions and resemblances and comparisons. So we say whatever Allah said and we stop at that. And whatever the Messenger said and we stop at that. نَصِفُهُ بِمَا وَصَفَ بِهِ نَفْسَهُ We describe Allah with whatever Allah described Himself with. لَا نَتَعَدَّ ذَلِكَ We do not go beyond that. We do not transgress beyond that. وَلَا يَبْلُغُهُ وَصْفُ الْوَاسِفِينَ And nobody could ever imagine Allah anyway. Nobody could ever imagine, no matter how hard you imagine, how much you try, you would never be able to come to the reality. أي أن هذا الباب توقيفي لا مجال للاجتهاد فيه. So when it comes to describing Allah, then we cannot make any imagination of ourselves. We cannot give any explanation or understanding of ourselves. It is what is found in the Quran and the Sunnah, and that is it. لا للأقيس ولا لضرب الأمثال له. لذا فإن السلف يقفون مع النصوص بالفهم الصحيح. وَلَا يَتَعَدَّوْنَ ذَلِكَ أَبَدًا So the Salaf, that's what they used to do, stick to the texts as they are, and they never went beyond that, trying to give their own imagination, or own explanations. فَيَسِفُونَ اللَّهَ بِمَا أَثْبَتَهُ لِنَفْسِهِ أَوْ أَثْبَتَهُ لَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. So the Salaf used to describe Allah with what Allah described Himself with, or what the Prophet ﷺ described Allah with. لا يتعدون الكتاب العزيز والسنة الكريمة. They would not transgress. They would not transgress and go beyond what is in the Quran and the Sunnah. وينزهونه عن مشابهة المخلوقين تنزيها بلا تعطيل. And they would declare Allah to be free of any resemblance to His creation, free of any comparison or resemblance to us. That doesn't mean they would reject the names and attributes. They affirm them. But they also affirmed that there is no comparison between Allah and the creation. لَا يَبْلُغُهُ وَصْفُ الْوَاسِفِينَ Therefore, nobody would ever be able to describe Allah and imagine Allah. None of us have that knowledge. None of us have that ability, no matter how much a person tried. And it is not permissible and correct for you to try in the first place. وَمِنْ عَقِيدَةِ أَهْلِ السُنَّةِ وَالْجَمَاعَةِ قَوْلُهُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ Also from the Aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah is the statement of the author نُؤْمِنُ بِالْقُرْآنِ كُلِّهِ مُحْكَمِهِ وَمُتَشَابِهِهِ وَلَا نُزِيلُ عَنْهُ صِفَةً مِنْ صِفَاتِهِ لِشَنَاعَةٍ شُنِّعَةٍ That we believe in all of the Qur'an those ayat that are muhkam and those that are mutashabih. And what are the ayat which are muhkamat and which are mutashabihat? The muhkamat are the ayat which are clear cut in their meaning in of themselves. The mutashabihat are ayat 
that could possibly hold multiple meanings, and therefore they need to be returned back to the muhkam ayat, put into their context, and then it will become clear what these ayat they mean. It will then become clear what these ayat are referring to, when you put them back into the context of the clear-cut ayat. So these ayat, all of them we believe in them, all of them we have absolute iman in them. Regardless of what the people may say, regardless of what uh, accusations people may make, that you people are giving Allah a body, you're doing this, you're doing that. Whatever the ayat are, we accept them. Allah mentioned, هُوَ الَّذِي أَنزَلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ مِنْهُ آيَاتُ مَحْكَمَاتِ هُنَّ أُمُّ الْكِتَابِ وَأُخَرُ مُتَشَابِهَاتِ that Allah, He is the one who has revealed upon you the book. In it are ayat which are clear cut. And they are the mother of the book, the source of the book. And the others are mutashabihat, meaning they could be ambiguous. But when you put them into the context of the clear cut ayat, then their meanings become clear too. The people of innovation though, what do they do? They do not return these Ayat which in your mind, in your understanding may be ambiguous, they do not return them back to the clear-cut ayat. Instead, these ayat where there is some possibility of ambiguity in your mind regarding them, then they use the opportunity, exploit the opportunity to give their own understandings and their own interpretations, and therefore they describe these ayat with descriptions that are not the correct understanding. Al-Imam Ahmad said, نُؤْمِنُ بِالْقُرْآنِ كُلِّهِ مُحْكَمِهِ وَمُتَشَابِهِ We believe in all of the Qur'an, the muhkam and the mutashabih. The muhkam that is clear-cut and the mutashabih, that may be ambiguous in your mind, and you need to return it back to the clear-cut to understand its meaning. All of it, all of the ayat of the Qur'an, we have firm iman in them. بيان لمعتقد أهل السنة والجماعة في القرآن العظيم. So Imam Ahmad he was explaining the belief of Ahl Sunnah when it comes to the Quran, and that belief is that we accept everything, all of the ayat. وأن منه المحكم الواضح المعنى ومنه المتشابه الذي لا يعلمه إلا الراسخون في العلم وأن من المتشابه ما لا يعلمه إلا الله. So all of the ayat we accept them, the clear-cut ayat which are clear in their meaning, and the mutashabih which may in your mind be ambiguous, and therefore the people of knowledge are the ones who grasp that better, and there may be some ayat which the knowledge of them is with Allah alone. كَمَا أَنَّهُمْ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِأَنَّ الْقُرْآنَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ So Ahl Sunnah also believe that the Qur'an is the speech of Allah. حُرُوفُهُ وَأَلْفَاظُهُ وَمَعَانِهِ The letters and the words and the meanings, all of that Qur'an, it is the speech of Allah. That is the belief of Ahl Sunnah, that Allah spoke the Qur'an. And Jibreel alayhi salam heard that Qur'an from Allah. Allah spoke it with the words and a voice and sounds. That Jibreel alayhi salam heard from Allah directly. Then Jibreel alayhi salam came and passed that on, that revelation to the Prophet sallallahu So the Qur'an is the speech of Allah, spoken by Allah. 
That is the belief of Ahl Sunnah. As for the people of innovation, they make up all types of explanations that are misguided because they do not want to accept that Allah speaks. So they say the Qur'an was not spoken by Allah. The Qur'an was something Allah was thinking about in of Himself. And Jibreel alayhi salam was given the ability to understand what Allah was thinking. Allah never actually spoke it. They say Jibreel alayhi salam was given the ability to understand what Allah was thinking. And then he was able to go and teach the Prophet So they say that's how Jibreel alayhi salam got the Qur'an. Some other innovators, they say, the Qur'an, Allah never spoke it, but Jibreel went and got it from the preserved tablet. The Qur'an is written in the preserved tablet. That's correct. But it is incorrect to say that Jibreel alayhi salam, that's where he got it from, from the preserved tablet, and then he came and gave it to the Prophet That is incorrect. Jibreel alayhi salam took that Qur'an directly from Allah, heard that Qur'an from Allah. Allah spoke the Qur'an and Jibreel alayhi salam heard that Qur'an, and then he came and taught the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَلَا نُزِيلُ عَنْهُ صِفَةً مِّن صِفَاتِهِ We do not remove or negate from Allah any attribute from amongst His attributes. أي إن أهل السنة والجماعة لا ينفون عن الله صفة واحدة Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, they do not negate from Allah even a single attribute that is affirmed. لا من الصفات الذاتية ولا من الصفات الفعلية بل يثبتون جميع الصفات على الوجه اللائق بعظمة الله وجلاله. Rather, we affirm all of the names and attributes of Allah in a manner that is befitting to Allah. In a manner that is befitting to Allah, we affirm. All of those names and attributes of Allah, we do not reject any of them. And that is important that we affirm them in the manner that is befitting to Allah. Those names and attributes, they are affirmed to Allah in a manner that is befitting of the might and majesty of Allah. وَلَا نَتَعَدَّ الْقُرْآنَ وَالْحَدِيثِ And we do not go beyond the Qur'an and Hadith. We do not go beyond what is in the Qur'an and Hadith in terms of explaining the names and attributes. Rather, we stop at what we find in the Qur'an and the Hadith. وَلَا نَعْلَمُ كَيْفَ كُنْهُ ذَلِكَ إِلَّا بِتَصْدِيقِ الرَّسُولِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَتَثْبِيتِ الْقُرْآنِ we are not able to determine the details and the descriptions. We are not able to determine the details or the descriptions, but all we do is affirm what has been taught to us, affirm what the Prophet ﷺ taught us, what is in the Qur'an. We may not know the details and the imagination of the descriptions of it. We do not know that. أي لا يستطيع أحد من الخلق أن يعرف كيفية ذات الله وكيفية صفاته. Nobody in creation now has the ability to know the details and the descriptions of the attributes of Allah. Nobody in creation has the ability to know 
the details and the descriptions of the names and attributes of Allah. وَكَيْفِيَةُ الْمُتَشَابِهِ الَّذِي لَا عَلَمْهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ إِذْ لَا سَبِيلَ لِأَحَدٍ إِلَى ذَلِكُ وَلَكِنَ الْوَاجِبَ الْإِيمَانُ بِمَا جَاءَنِ اللَّهِ فِي كِتَابِ الْعَزِيزِ So none of us has the ability to understand the details of what Allah looks like in the names and descriptions. We don't know those details and those imaginations. But what is upon us is to accept and to believe what is in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Rahimahullahu ta'ala He said Amantu billahi Wa bima jaa'a anillahi Ala muradillahi Wa amantu birasulillahi Wa bima jaa'a an rasulillahi Ala muradi rasulillahi Al-Imam Shafi'i said I believe in Allah and whatever has come from Allah, the revelation, ala muradillah, upon what Allah intended. I believe in Allah and the revelation that came from Allah in the manner that Allah intended for us to understand it. And I believe in the messenger of Allah and what the messenger of Allah came with, the sunnah, upon the intent of the messenger of Allah. Meaning I understand it, Upon the way that the Prophet ﷺ understood it and taught it. Not that I understand these things with my own imagination, with my own description. Rather, Imam Shafi'i said, I believe in Allah and the Messenger and everything which came from Allah and the Messenger, the revelation, upon the intent of Allah and His Messenger. How it was supposed to be understood. Not with my own intentions, not with my own understandings and my own explanations. So, Imam Shafi'i, Obviously, he is known as one of the great scholars, one of the great scholars, one of the great four scholars mentioned as the four schools of thought. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, who was the first one, and the second one was who? Al-Imam Malik, and the third one? Al-Imam Shafi'i, and the fourth one? Al-Imam Ahmed. When did Al-Imam Abu Hanifa die? One nine two, too late. Too late. One nine two. Al Imam Abu Hanifa died in one hundred and fifty Hijri. One hundred and fifty Hijri. He was born in eighty Hijri. He was alive when companions were alive. Al Imam Abu Hanifa was thirty years old when the final companion died. Although many of the scholars, the Established opinion is that Al-Imam Abu Hanifa never actually got to meet any of the companions. Then after that, Al-Imam Malik, he died when? Anyone? 179. 29 years later. Al-Imam Ashafi'i. Died in the year that Al Imam Muslim was born. 204. And Al Imam Ahmed died. 241. So you see, 
Al-Imam Abu Hanifa was the first of them, then Al-Imam Malik, then Al-Imam Shafi'i, and then Al-Imam Ahmad. So these four schools of thought are famously mentioned. Al-Imam Shafi'i was one of them, Ahadu Al-A'imma Al-Arba'a, one of the four great scholars, وَصَاحِبُ الْمَذْهَبِ الْمَعْرُوفِ And he has the famous school of thought, the Shafi'i Madhab. So he says in this statement, Al-Imam Shafi'i, that I have Iman in Allah. And that includes Iman in the existence of Allah, Iman in the Uluhiyah of Allah, Iman in the Rububiyah of Allah, Iman in the names and attributes of Allah. All of this is included in your Iman in Allah. Iman in Allah, in the existence of Allah, in the Rububiyah of Allah, in the Uluhiyah of Allah, in the names and attributes of Allah. All of that is part of your firm and resolute uh, Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is something which a person is born upon. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned that the people are born upon that natural disposition. That natural disposition, meaning every baby is born upon Tawheed. Every baby is born knowing their Creator upon Tawheed. The Prophet ﷺ said, "Kullu mauludin yuladu ala al-fitrah." Every child is born upon the natural way. The natural way is Tawheed. Thumma abawahu. Then his parents. ثُمَّ أَبَوَاهُ يُهَوِّدَانِهِ أَوْ يُنَصِّرَانِهِ أَوْ يُمَجِّسَانِهِ Then his parents, his environment as he grows up, he is either made into a Jew or into a Christian or into a Masian. But in the initial stage, every baby is born upon the natural state, the natural state of Tawheed. Then afterwards they are changed into whatever religion they occur. So Imam Shafi'i is affirming the obligation of Iman in all of those factors. فَكَلَامُ الْإِمَامِ الشَّافِعِي كَلَامٌ شَامِلٌ لِمَا يَجِبُ الْإِيمَانُ بِهِ مِمَّا جَاءَ بِهِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ كِتَابٍ وَسُنَّةٍ So the statement of Imam Shafi'i here, that I believe in Allah and everything which came from Allah upon what Allah intended and I believe in the Prophet ﷺ and everything that came from him upon what he intended. <coughs> it is to highlight the obligation of accepting the Iman or having Iman, being upon Iman in all of the revelation. The Qur'an and the Sunnah. ما من جليل الأحكام All of the great rulings that you find in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. في مقدمة الأحكام التي يجب القيام بها والعمل بمقتضاها الإيمان بالله the head of all of the different types of Iman is your Iman in Allah firstly. And everything which has come from Allah. And the Qur'an is one of those things. And that is the point being made here. The Qur'an is one of those things. The Qur'an is the speech of Allah. It is the revelation come from Allah. So it is upon us an obligation to believe in that. The Prophet ﷺ also said, Oh, or rather, Allah said in the Quran, "Man yuti'ir rasoola faqad ata'a Allah." Whomsoever obeys the Messenger has obeyed Allah. 
And, and the Prophet ﷺ then said in the hadith, Man ata'ani faqad Allah. Whoever obeys me, then he has obeyed Allah. وَمَنْ عَصَانِي فَقَدْ عَصَى اللَّهِ And whoever disobeys me, then he's disobeying Allah. وَمَنْ يُطْعِ الْأَمِيرَ فَقَدْ طَعَانِي And whoever obeys the ruler, the leader, the ruler of the country, then he has obeyed me. وَمَنْ يَعْصِ الْأَمِيرَ فَقَدْ عَصَانِي Whoever goes against the ruler, disobeys the ruler, then he has disobeyed me. So this is a hadith which is in Bukhari, a Muslim. And it shows the importance of obedience to the revelation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, submission to that, accepting all of that. And the key point here is, ala muradillah, and ala muradin nabiyyi To accept everything in the Quran and the sunnah, upon the intent of Allah, and the intent of the Prophet sallallahu Meaning it's not just about accepting the Qur'an and the Sunnah with your own interpretations and your own distortions and your own misunderstandings. Then you are not really accepting the Qur'an and the Sunnah properly. Accepting the Qur'an and the Sunnah is that you accept it upon the way that Allah wanted us to accept it. Upon that understanding, upon that realization, upon that meaning. And what the Prophet ﷺ intended. That's why we always say it is Qur'an, it is Sunnah upon the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. Qur'an and Sunnah upon the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. Not the Qur'an and the Sunnah with your understanding or this person's understanding or that person's understanding. That is why the people of innovation, they go astray so much. They gave their own understandings, their own interpretations, their own working out on this ayah, on this hadith. And as a consequence, they end up going astray in terms of the correct understanding. They go astray into false understandings because of their own interpretations they want to implement. So here we learn very clearly as Al-Imam Shafi'i said, Al-Imam Shafi'i from those early times, from the Salaf, he is telling us it is about accepting the Qur'an and the Sunnah with the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah, with the understanding of what Allah wanted us to understand from this revelation, with the understanding of what the Prophet ﷺ wanted us to understand from this revelation. Now you see the type of state that people they find themselves in when they don't go to that understanding and instead they go to their own understandings. They sit in the mosques in circles, turn off the lights. Is this something which we were taught from the understanding of the Prophet ﷺ? To sit in the masjid, turn the lights off in a circle. All these types of things, the birthday celebrations, flying an aeroplane saying we love Muhammad with a banner at the back. These types of things that they do. All of this is from their misguidance and their understanding because they do not go back to taking the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the intent of Allah, upon what Allah wanted us to understand from that clear cut as the narrations are, upon what the Prophet ﷺ wanted to, us to understand, clear the Sunnah as it is. Instead, they take the Qur'an and the Sunnah with their own interpretations, their own understandings, their Imam's understandings. And as a consequence, that is why they end up going astray. Any questions up to there?
Any questions regarding the names and attributes and this particular issue and this particular topic so far? They will mention one more point here. قول المؤلف رحمه الله وقد أمرنا بالاقتفاء لآثارهم. We have been commanded to follow in the footsteps of them, in the footsteps of the Prophet ﷺ, the footsteps of the Salaf. والاهتداء بمنارهم and to guide ourselves from their light. وحذرنا المحدثات and we've been warned against the newly invented matters. وَأُخْبِرْنَا أَنَّهَا مِنَ الضَّلَالَاتِ And we've been informed that these newly invented matters are from the misguidance. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم عَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِيِّينَ مِنْ بَعْدِي Upon you is to cling to my sunnah and the sunnah of الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدُونَ The rightly guided caliphs after me. عَضُّوا عَلَيْهَا بِالنَّوَاجِذِ Bite unto it with your molar teeth. وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَمُحْدَثَاتِ الْأُمُورِ And be warned from the newly invented matters. فَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ Every newly invented matter is an innovation and every innovation is a misguidance. And in some narrations, all of that is in the fire. This section here is to now solidify what we've been talking about which is that it is an obligation upon us an obligation upon us to follow the sunnah and to stick to the understanding of the salaf of this ummah because that is what the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam commanded us to do he said alaykum bi sunnati upon you is to cling to my sunnah wa sunnatil khulafa'ir rashidin and the sunnah of the rightly guided caliphs who come after me. Who are those rightly guided caliphs that came after the Prophet ﷺ? The Sahaba. The Sahaba, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, radiyallahu anhum. So it is upon us to cling to that way. And this following chapter now that is coming, he is going to highlight very clearly the importance of clinging to that sunnah. People may think that's obvious, but the reality is, this is an issue where many people have gone astray. It is because they do not cling to the sunnah, because they do not stick to the narrations exactly as they've come, because they use so much of their own intellects and their own interpretations, that they end up going astray. That is the cause of their going astray. So this next chapter, inshallah ta'ala, is going to discuss the section regarding clinging firmly onto that sunnah. So far up to here now then. If somebody was to say to you, what is the belief of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah when it comes to the names and attributes of Allah? What are you going to say? We accept them how they are. We don't explain them. Somebody comes to you and says, now, you as a Sunni, what's your belief about the names and attributes of Allah? What are you going to say? We believe in them as they were told by the Prophet or explained by them. 
uh, we do not add anything or uh, take anything from them. Okay. So we believe as they are. So we accept the names and attributes of Allah as they are. We do not bring any additions to it. We do not subtract anything from it. We accept the names and attributes as they are. Meaning, we therefore describe Allah with whatever Allah described Himself with. And what the Messenger of Allah described Him with. We do not add anything on top of that. We do not take anything away from that. Those narrations then, we accept them as they are. We don't try to give our own interpretation. We don't try to give our own imagination. We take those narrations as they are. We accept them as they are. Allah says He has these attributes. We believe He has these attributes. Allah says He has those names. We believe He has those names. So we describe Allah with whatever He described Himself with. And what the Messenger described Allah with. And we we negate. We negate from Allah what Allah negated from Himself. Or what the messenger negated from Allah. Like in the Quran it says, لَا تَأْخُذُهُ سِنَةٌ وَلَا نَوْمٌ Sleep and slumber, tiredness, does not overcome Allah. So Allah rejected and negated sleep and slumberness, tiredness from overcoming Him. So we in our belief say that we also negate that. We negate, we reject that sleep and slumber can overcome Allah. It cannot. Because Allah rejected that for Himself, so we reject that. We say Allah cannot be overcome by sleep and slumber. Allah cannot be overcome by tiredness. Because Allah negated that from Himself, so we negate that from Allah too. Whatever Allah affirmed for Himself, we affirm. Whatever Allah negated from Himself, we negate. So that's the chapter regarding the names and attributes briefly. Next time then we'll begin the chapter regarding the sunnah and the importance of the sunnah. And clinging on to the sunnah, narrations from the salaf regarding it. Insha'Allah ta'ala will begin that the next time. We'll conclude upon that today. Looks to me like people are a bit tired today after fasting and things. Huh? I think today everybody looking a bit drained out. So we'll leave it on that section today. We'll carry on with the sunnah section next week insha'Allah. Just a question, you know, on the day of Arafat, you know, there's a hadith that says there's no day on which Allah frees more people from the hellfire than the day of Arafat. Mm. Um, is that obviously today's the day of Arafat? So mm. Does this actually mean um, in the hereafter when obviously everything's decided that Allah frees the, the slaves on, on this day from the hellfire? Cool. Uh, perhaps the meaning is that on this day, that mercy is written for that person. That it's written for that person on this day. This person is freed from the hellfire. Meaning that the mercy of Allah is upon that person, those people on this day. And it's, a, it's an opportunity. Just like the other narrations about opportunity. The last third of the night is an opportunity. When you perform hajj, hajj as a whole is an opportunity to remove all of your previous sins. The one who fasts, there's an opportunity for the great rewards. So the day of Arafah is this opportunity to have yourself freed from the hellfire. An opportunity to have yourself released and be written from the people of paradise. So it doesn't necessitate that it's an, uh, something occurring now because some of us are still not even dead yet. So that point could be that it is something written now for that person. It is something that a person takes the opportunity on this day, makes the dua, and therefore the good deeds that he achieves as a consequence are the ones that will cause him to enter paradise in the hereafter. Um, 
if someone wants to pledge uh, some charity, in the sense maybe from their wealth or property or so, and they pledge that and they pass away, will that, uh, will, will that money go to the you know, inheritance? Will it, will it still be, will they still get the reward for that if they, if they pledge it? If they pledged it, uh, and they pass away, then really, really, ideally, the next of kin, those who follow, should fulfill that pledge and take that section out and give it to the pledge that he made, and the rest of it, then they take as their inheritance. That pledge should be because once a person dies, then the next of kin, those people, they take the responsibilities and fulfill what responsibilities there were. A pledge, if it's like a contract, an agreement, he's made that pledge. He's going to give that money. It's, it's like a contract. It's like an agreement he's given to that masjid, to that school, whatever it is. So the next of kin now, after he dies, they should fulfill that. Take that amount of money out that he had pledged he was going to give, but he died. Take it out and give it to them. And the rest of it, they take it and share it as their inheritance. And that person will still get a reward for that then? Yeah. He made that pledge. Then he died. He didn't get to do it. He was going to do it next week, but he died. So now the next of kin, take that money out and give it on his behalf. And that he gets the reward. Even general charity, let alone a pledge. Even if he never made any pledge. You give some money now from your own money in beha- on behalf of your parents who have died, for example, the reward goes. Charity you can do on behalf of the deceased. Even without a pledge. You now give some money with you from your own money. Then it's possible. Even this slaughtering. The sacrifice now for Eid. The head of the household does it for his family. It's permissible, as the scholars say, to include in your intention... Some of the deceased, maybe your father passed away, your mother passed away, you include them in the intention that this sacrifice today or tomorrow is for my household and I'm including in that intention my mother, my father, etc., my uncle, whoever has passed away. And it's allowed. The scholars, they say though, what's not allowed or what you shouldn't really do is make that sacrifice purely for that deceased person. So somebody comes along tomorrow and they say, my sacrifice for this Eid, for this year, I'm making the intention, it is purely for my mother who passed away. That isn't correct, the scholars say. Make the sacrifice for yourself, for the family, your whole family, as is the sunnah, and include within it an intention for your deceased parents or whoever. But don't make it specific to the deceased. But if you include them, include them within the overall intention, your family, everybody, and your deceased parents, you include them in your intention, that's okay as well. But charity, definitely, you can give charity on behalf of the deceased, generally. As for the pledge, yes, they fulfill that pledge, they'll get the reward too. Sheikh, some of them are encouraging people that uh, if you can afford it, so you should give the priority to Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and uh, sacrifice on behalf of him. Uh, if you, you know, if you've got enough... Uh, so, and they're taking it as well. So what's the uh, ruling about that? Some people that? say it's mandatory to rule that, actually, you know. And then your parents as well. So obviously, the the first uh, priority is Prophet after you or after your family. So what do they mean that in your intention you have to intend the Prophet You purely sacrifice uh, a whole share uh-huh. for Prophet so what about yourself and your family? You have to do another one? Separate, another one separate then? Separate, separate. Yeah, I mean, this is separate. <laughs> if you do it yourself and you've got enough money... Then do one specific then, for the Prophet yes, yes. Okay, okay. So, like we always say in the lessons, are the rules are the same rules. If you're going to make that type of ruling, they need to give us some proof then. They need to give us some proof about doing it like that. 
There is nothing in the Quran and the Sunnah about doing it like that. That you have to specify one for the Prophet ﷺ and the rest of your family. What's in the Sunnah is that you slaughter on that day. The head of the household does it on behalf of himself and his family. But making this type of specification, then you need to give us some evidence for it. And the easiest way to clarify these things is, if this was an act of worship like that, then who would have been the first people to definitely do it? The ones who would never miss out these acts of worship. The Sahaba. Are there narrations that the Sahaba, and some of them were rich, very rich, some of the Sahaba. Some of them were poor, but some were very rich, very rich some of them. Is it mentioned that they used to do the sacrificing like this anywhere? Are there narrations anywhere? That's the problem. So when you can't prove something like this, then you can't force and tell people this is the sunnah. When you can't prove it, you can't prove any of the companions did it, you can't prove anybody else, you can't prove any hadith, then how can you say this is the mandatory, you have to do it for the Prophet ﷺ, and then one for yourself if you've got the money. If you've got the money, then the, sac- the sunnah is sacrifice for yourself and your family. That is what the sunnah is. So these things, as we always say, the simple rule, Ahl sunnah simple rule, if you're going to say something is obligatory, it's mandatory, then give us the proof. About slaughtering for your family, we know there's proof for that all in the sunnah everywhere. But slaughter one specific for the Prophet ﷺ, if you got money, where's the proof for that one? Why if somebody just does it normally and not tells anybody, you know, makes a victory, just does it out of uh, their own? No, it's not proven. Yeah. I don't know of any evidence proving that act to slaughter on behalf of the Prophet ﷺ. You have to show some proof. Maybe there is. I, all I'm saying is I don't know of any proof for that. Allah alam. I don't know of any proof to specify a slaughtering for the Prophet ﷺ. All that we know is the sunnah is your slaughter for your household. Uh, the head of the household does it for his family. That's it. How much, like for a sheep, how much people can you cover in your household? As much as you want, your household. One sheep is sufficient for the head of the household, his household. His family, his, his, his children, it can cover his household. But you can't share. You can't share a sheep. You can't say to your neighbor, who's not your relative, nothing, just your neighbor. You can't say to him, you and me will go halves on a sheep we'll, you pay a hundred pounds, I'll pay a hundred pounds we'll go get it slaughtered and it covers my household, your household, you can't do that one sheep per household for you, your family, your household you can do that with a cow, cow and camels but with a sheep you can't share it And nobody else knows that there was a debt. Yeah. yeah, but the person who had the debt, he'll come and claim it. He'll come and tell the family that he owed me this money. Mm-hmm. Then you could pay him. Yeah, what about if he doesn't know what it just get? And if he doesn't like come, he doesn't want to tell the family what it Then yeah. there's nothing, there's nothing yeah. you can do. Was to pay him before he died. Yeah, then inshallah, then, you, then as the scholars say, you hope for forgiveness. Yeah. You hope that the person will be forgiven on that then. Yurja lahul khair, as they say. Goodness is hoped for him. Yeah. Mm. So we'll leave it there. Next week we'll carry on, inshallah.